Good afternoon. Uh, I'm going to talk this afternoon on something that I call reading the box score, <clears throat> and it has to do with uh, the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis, which is basically a list of uh, a list of data like you'll read in a box score. And uh, we're kind of familiar with sometimes with box scores. And what I'm handing out here is a uh, table of the patriarchs. And this deals with Genesis, the fifth chapter, and also goes on down here throughout the book of Genesis. And then some summary uh, items here at the bottom of it, and hopefully this can be some things that can uh, help you a little bit or help you to understand or appreciate some of these lists that we have uh, in the Bible, some of these dry and almost really uh, boring lists sometimes we have in the Bible. Uh, I... Uh, I do a, a reading program, a chronological Bible reading program. I call it Read With Me, and this comes out of, out, of, out of that. This is the fourth year. We're in our fourth year, beginning our fourth year of doing the program. And uh, there's a lot of people that are in it. I think there may be some here. I'm not sure if there's some here that are involved in the program or not. But uh, if anybody's interested in it, you can see me, and then I can, I can hook you up in it. Uh, hook you up in it. But this is actually something that I've taught at home that kind of came out of that, and did, you got one? Okay. Okay. So reading the box score, and the text is from Genesis the fifth chapter. I'm not going to read all of Genesis the fifth chapter, but this is where it is based from. And this is the first uh, really big list, I believe, that we come in the book of Genesis to a list of names. And sometimes, uh, that's a depiction of what we just handed out there, so a part of it there. So sometimes when we read the Bible, we come to these genealogies or these big lists of names. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so on down here, and all of this. And sometimes I'm asked by people, when I get to those in my Bible reading, can I skip them? And I say, yes, you can, but understand this. Sometimes in those lists, there's very important information. Uh, those lists are there, and they are very boring lists sometimes because really they really don't pertain to me and you. We really don't have any relevance a lot of times to them. And so uh, sometimes we ask, what's the point? What's the point of those? Well, if you were uh, a person living in ancient Israel, it would, be it would be very relevant to you because it would be part of your history. It would be part of your physical history, but also part of your spiritual history as well. And so, in a sense, it is still a part of our spiritual history in that, although we don't have the same uh, link to it that they can. Lists can be very tedious collections of facts. And sometimes they only have meaning if you have an interest in the subject or an involvement in the subject that they're dealing with. But keep in mind, keep in mind that this is a part of how that God delivers His message for us in these lists in the Scripture there. And although sometimes you may start off at the top and you may skip down to the bottom, that's fine, or skim through them, that's fine. Understand that there's information in there, and sometimes there's not much information in there as far as we are concerned, but sometimes there's some very interesting things in there that deal not only with our edification, but deal with other uh, things that are relevant in Scripture as well. We, use commonly, we commonly use lists. If you ever invest in the stock market, you go and you look, uh, well, you look online now, but you used to go and look in the newspaper and find those little, those little uh, acronyms there of different things there, and you'd look it up because that tells you something. If you're not interested in the stock market, that's meaningless, right? 
Or maybe if you're cooking something, if you're making an apple pie like Vicki made and that Terry and I got into last night, you know, you have a list of items and elements that go into that and how to put it together. But if you're not a cook and you look at that, it may not make much sense to you there. Or if you're running a business, you may have a ledger sheet. Uh, you may have a ledger sheet, and, and this is what we have. I have a menu, I have a ledger sheet up there, I have a stock market, uh, stock market uh, uh, readout there. Or if you're, a, uh, if you're interested in sports, you'll get the sports page out, or you'll look online there, and you'll look at the box score there because that's interesting. It tells you what's going on in the game. Now that box score that's up there, if you must know, that is the game from which Will Chamberlain scored 100 points for the Philadelphia, uh, for Philadelphia way back whenever that was. So for those sports fans, that's a picture of it there. I couldn't find one for the other team. I couldn't find the complete one, but anyway, who cares about the other team, right? But if you, so there's many times we're interested in tables, in charts, in collections of data. And that's what we have in Genesis, the fifth chapter here in the scripture there. Reading from the American Standard Version is what I'm going to be uh, most, I believe all quotes, there are some others taken from some others in here, but I believe it's pointed out there. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. The first part of Genesis, the first four chapters of Genesis, it has been conjectured was, may have been originally handed down or perhaps even written by Adam. And some people in this world think there wasn't writing in those times there. I think probably we have a little bit to gain, uh, interest uh, to gain or some things we don't know about that time there. But uh, perhaps those were recorded by Adam and then later compiled by Moses with other historical books. I don't believe that Moses obviously uh, compiled them simply on his own merit or on his own wisdom or on his own uh, mental capacity. Obviously, he was guided by God through the Holy Spirit in doing this. And so whether he took material that was already in existence and compiled that under the oversight of the Holy Spirit or whether he did not, uh, be that as it may, uh, Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis and the first five books of the, uh, of the Bible here. And so this is very important. Here's the obituary of Adam here in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 930 years. Now, that's a long time. I've never known anybody that lived 930 years. You haven't either. Why did they live so long then? And why is that? Some people said, well, it's just a misprint. The Bible's wrong on that. It was just an overestimation of the length of time that people lived. Well, that's one thought. I don't believe that that's true there. But some possible explanations were these were blessings on the descendants of Seth. That is, the chosen, uh, the ones through whom uh, the blessings would come. The descendant of Adam and Eve uh, that, uh, that would be blessed there. But the others of other ages, that other, of other lineages, of the uh, lineage of, of Cain, also, for example, they lived long, a long time as well there, so I don't believe that that works there. Some people would say, well, ages were calculated differently in those days. In other words, they didn't really live as long as it says in the Bible. Uh, I just kind of discard that because uh, that's part of the reliability of the scripture in dealing with that. So we really won't go into that. We could go more into that later there. Some have conjectured that the atmosphere was different before the flood. 
uh, and that it, it, it really enabled people and helped people to live a long time, that they were in a very pristine environment to where they could and bodies could exist for a long time. I don't know if that is or if that is not the case. Also, it's been said long life was granted to those so they could multiply and be fruitful in the earth according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And perhaps that was it. But I think the, probably the most reasonable explanation as to why we don't live as long. It's not really a question of why they lived as long, but why we don't live as long and why people have not lived as long since then is that because of decay and disease due to sin took time to damage human bodies. And as we find through the book of Genesis that the times, and look on that table that you have in front of you there, table of the patriarchs there, they grow smaller and smaller on down through time, on down through time there, yet you see Jacob living 147 years, the last one on that chart there. And obviously, this chart, and I'll just say it for here, it's not original with me. I took it from the Old Testament history by William Smith, uh, obviously, the references there, and that's, I lifted it out of there. So, as I sometimes say about my sermons, uh, somebody wants a copy of it, I'll say, okay, but just remember it's copyrighted. Not by me, but it is copyrighted by somebody. So that's kind of, <laughs> kind of how that is there. So I'll, I'll say that just with, uh, anyway, that's the disclaimer there on this. Do, decay and disease due to sin was why these people, the, their lifetimes diminished. We understand the scriptures teach that death came because of sin. In Genesis 2 verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, it says in Genesis 2 17. And then after they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in chapter 3, we recall the story there how that God confronted Adam and Eve and he says in verse 17 that in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. This is what God's decree was, not just his, his, uh, not just his prophecy there, but his decree was at that time that man was taken from dust and will return to dust, and because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were cast from the garden there. This is what it says in verses 23, or 22 and 23. Jehovah God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know uh, good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. Now here you have this situation that God detect, or God uh, reveals here in these verses that it was because of sin that they were driven from the Garden of Eden and because they were driven from the Garden of Eden they could not eat of the Tree of Life because if they ate of the Tree of Life they could live forever. This is what simply we take it at face value here what the Bible says there. Now how, did it, how was it that they died because of sin? Because Genesis 2, 17 says, In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They did not physically die in that day. But the process was set in order by which they would die. They spiritually died in that day because they were separated from God in that day. But the process was set in order by which, by which, the effect would be that they would die physically because of that. Take it, it's like this. You know, say that I work for some, uh, for some big corporation, some big company. 
I worked there and I was one of the muckety mucks and I had the ability to uh, have access to the money. And for years and years in my work in the corporation, I was skimming money off the top and taking it there. And of course then, obviously because of that, I'd live a, li a lavish lifestyle with my, uh, my family there, have the finest of houses and send my kids to the finest of schools and all this and they would drive fancy, fancy cars and all this kind of stuff and then one day the hammer falls and they find what I've done. Well, you know, I have to pay the piper. I have to pay the penalty for it. I'm thrown in jail. I'm thrown in prison. I'm found guilty of embezzlement, all this. I'm thrown in prison. And you know what happens? My family didn't do any of it. But they lose the fancy house. They lose the fancy car. They, use, they, they lose everything else. All the other things there as a consequence of my sin, of my, uh, of my crime. And so it is with Adam and Eve... And also with us as well, the descendants of Adam and Eve, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they were cast forth from the garden. And because of that, we do not have access to the tree of life. And therefore, according to Genesis 3, verses 22 and 23, now we all die. Not as a direct result of Adam and Eve's sin, but as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. Not as the penalty for their sin, but as a consequence of their sin. You see how that works. And so in the New Testament, Romans 5 verse 12, as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 21 and 23, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So there it speaks concerning Christ. For in an, as, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus is the cure for that penalty and for that consequence of Adam and Eve there in the garden. Yes, we're all going to face death. Either that or we'll uh, either, either uh, he'll call us home or he'll return, one or the other. But we'll all face that one way or the other. But he will reverse the penalty of death at the resurrection there, according to the scriptures there. So Jesus is the one who overcomes death. John 5 verse 24 Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me has eternal life and comes not into judgment that is passed from death into life. Now don't do like some in this world who will say, well, that's the, that's the only thing you have to do is just hear and believe and then you have eternal life. No. Jesus is saying that's it, but if you hear and believe, then you'll obey as well. I think other, other scriptures point that out. So don't oversimplify what Jesus has said. But Jesus is the cure for death. Jesus is the cure for death. John 11 verses 25 and 26 at the death of Lazarus when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says unto Lazarus' sister, he said, I am the resurrection, the life, and he that believes on me, even though he die, he, he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes on me shall never die. Again, Romans 6 and verse 4, a verse that we looked at this morning. We are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is not a cure for physical death. It's a cure for spiritual death. And we can have a new life in Christ. And that, according to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, gives us the living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ there for an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us. Again, Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there, Jesus is the cure, or Jesus is the resolution for the death 
uh, for death that came into the world because of sin. He's the cure for spiritual death, but he will also be ultimately by his resurrection the cure for physical death in that we will be raised up because Jesus was raised from the dead as well. So that's just a simple, there's much more that could be said on that, but that's just a simple touch on that. But let's look at the names of the patriarchs in here in Genesis, the fifth chapter. We have these men here, and you can either look on your Bibles or look on your list here. Adam, and notice the names of the patriarch, they do have some meaning there. Adam means man. That's how it is, is, is said there. It says, male and female created he them. He blessed them and called their name Adam, or man, or if you will, mankind in that sense, if you would speak of them in plural there, in that day, the, in the day they were created. And then, in Genesis chapter 3, recall there in uh, earlier, or in, in uh, earlier, in, in, not Genesis chapter 3, Je chapter 5, verse 3. You recall earlier how that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel in, in chapter 4? And that uh, Cain uh, killed his brother Abel and Cain was sent out as an exile there. Well, so then after this, the one who apparently was the one through whom all the blessings would come. Because notice, the blessing that was given in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and between the seed of the woman. It shall bruise Thy head, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent or of Satan there, and you shall bruise his heel. Apparently, it seems to me there that when Seth was born into the world, that Mother Eve may have thought, this is it. This is it. Because notice what she names him. She names him Seth, which means the appointed one. And uh, she thought this may have been the Messiah. At least it appears to me anyway uh, that this could have been that. Now whether or not that was what the thinking that was in there or uh, was there or not, we don't know at this point. Then Seth had a son named Enos, which means mortal, mortal frailty. Canaan was born to Enos, which means smith. And I suppose we could call, Bob, we could call you brother Canaan if we wanted to there, smith is what that name is uh, there, probably has to do with actually his occupation or what he worked in or what he would be uh, expected to work in there. Mahaliel, God be praised, Jared, descent, Enoch, dedication. And Enoch named his son Methuselah, which means when he dies, judgment. Methuselah named his son conqueror, and Noah then was Lamech's son. Noah said, rest. Is, or what his name was according to there. The book of Genesis, or Genesis chapter 5, covers some 1,600 years. And you can actually total that up from the numbers that are given there. This is the longest period, single period of time that's covered in any segment of the Bible, right there in this chapter. And we just kind of read through it, and you know, it's kind of boring there. You read through it, so we got 1,600 years right there just in reading that, so making good progress there in that sense there. Those are just some interesting things to me to point out. But let's talk about this a little bit. If you look on the chart of the patriarchs there that you have in front of you, notice there, Adam was still living when Lamech, Noah's father, was born. Adam was still living when Noah's father was born. Adam lived 930 years, 930 years, and you can just go down that chart right here and look right here. Lamech was born 
He was born before Adam died. He, he was born in 775, according to the math of adding it up, and Adam died in 930. They had a time period overlapping there. And you, could load, lo, and you can overlap things there very easily. Information can be handed down through two generations from the creation unto the flood. Now, to me, that is amazing. And that's what the Word of God purports to be true here, and I truly believe that it is true here, that it could be handed down in that way. After the flood, information could be handed down through only three generations to the time of, of Abraham there. And you can see how that adds up there and how that's, that's, how that's very uh, interesting there. Shem, Noah's son, outlived Abraham. You know, Abraham could have gone to Shem and Shem could have told him, this is what it was like the time we spent on that ark. This is what it was like when we built the ark. Those things are amazing to me to think about that. But another thing here is some of these people, they didn't come to prominence until really late. When was it when Noah built the ark? When was it when Noah became the notable person that he was? Well, all through his life, actually, there. But if you calculate it, if you calculate it, Noah was about 500 years old when he began to build the ark. It was somewhat before that. Noah lived what? What's it say there? Noah lived 950 years, but he was about 500 years old when he began to build the ark. You know, we got a few seasoned saints in this congregation, and I love that. Don't think that your time is done. Don't think that your time is done. If you're like Noah, if you're approaching 500 years old, this may be your time. This may be your time. Just think about, think about that. Don't say, I'm done. Don't say, I'm done. Keep pressing on. I think of some things here in this. Because some of these people, they, at great year, great age, a great age, is when they really came, uh, really came into their, uh, into their uh, wheelhouse, I guess you'd say, spiritually speaking in this. So let's look at the structure here in Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, you see the same structure here in all of this. The age of the father at the birth of the firstborn, the name of the firstborn, the years the father lived after the birth, the reference to uh, fathering other children, and the father's total lifespan, and then he died. Verse 5, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. All the days that Seth were 912 years, and he died. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. All the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. All the days of Mahaliel were, 910, or were uh, 890 and 5 years, and he died. All the days of Jared were 960 year, 62 years, and he died. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. The longest that anybody ever lived that we know of that is recorded, well, it's the longest that's recorded in Scripture, and so we would argue the longest anybody ever lived. And then all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. That's the way it goes time and time and time again there. It speaks a summary of really how it is in life. We live whatever time we live. We come to a point in which we reach that time in which we die. 
And that's exactly how it's portrayed here in this, the same structure all there, except there is one exception in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch. We read this in verses 21 and 22, actually 21 through 24. I had the wrong reference up there. It says, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So here was one that the Bible says, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, that we'll note, uh, we'll note a little bit later there, that he did not die. All the rest it says, he came to a point and he died. He lived this amount of years and he died. All the days of Enoch were 365 years, but God took him there. Notice here, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God in verse 22. This is only said specifically in scripture of Enoch and Noah, that they walked with God in this sense there. But I believe that we can walk with God as well. Third song we, we led uh, this afternoon, hand in hand we walk each day, hand in hand along life's way. Yes, we can do that. Perhaps not in the same way that they did in, 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 the, in those days, but here specifically it gives that testimony there in Scripture this way. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect, and his generations Noah walked with God. Walk here indicates fellowship, communion, and an intimate relationship, I believe here, is what he's talking about. This is what Enoch had. This is what Noah had, according to the Scriptures. The prophets use this word, to refer to the priest who entered the house, the holiest of holies, to speak with the Lord. It was a special type of entry there. So, walking side by side in fellowship, step by step in that sense. I don't believe it's a literally walking in that sense that they walked, they walked and held hands with God as, in that sense there, but metaphorically they were doing that. I believe that is it. But notice here, Walking with God speaks of unswerving obedience and faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says concerning Enoch, By faith Enoch, that's that same Enoch back there, was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found because God translated him for he had this witness, uh, for he had witness born to him that before his translation that he had been well pleasing unto God. Now I don't know who said that that Enoch was well-pleasing unto God. Perhaps it was a testimony of God himself, I believe it probably was, who said that Enoch, this man, is well-pleasing unto God. This here in Genesis chapter, or Hebrews 11 verse 5 is an inspired commentary in Genesis 5 and verse 24. Genesis 5 verse 24, there, notice, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now how does that work? It's this, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not taste death, that he should not see death. And he was not found because God translated him. Because there was a testimony before about Enoch that he was well-pleasing unto God. Translated means taken up, he was taken up. New American Standard uh, Bible says, by faith Enoch was taken up that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained this witness that before his, his being taken up, he was pleasing to God there. And so, 
we have this passage. We're very familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, what we sometimes call the Faith Hall of Fame. It starts out, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we're familiar with verse 6, which says, Without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing unto God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's done not to say, and the examples that are given there, they're not given to say, this is something that you just look at and wonder and you can't attain. The examples that are given in Hebrews chapter 11, they're given there so you can look and wonder and you can say, I can follow in this same type of faith. But look in verse 5, right before Hebrews 11 and verse 6, that's where it says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not taste death. And right after that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 is where it talks about Noah. By faith Noah was, being, was warned of God and he built a house to the saving of his soul. These two men are ones that it says in the book of Genesis specifically they walked with God. What were they? They were men of faith. That's what it is. That's what it says. Without faith it is impossible to be well pleasing to God. They had not only faith in God, not only a confidence in God, but they had a confidence that if they walked with God, that God would reward them. And he would reward them for their lives, for how they've, for how they've lived, for their faithfulness unto him. He's a rewarder of them that seek after him. So here's what we have. Walked with God. Enoch did not always walk with God. Look at that. And I think that's what's, what's, what's said here in the scripture. He started walking with God apparently after the birth of his son. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and beget Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he beget Methuselah 300 years and beget sons and daughters. Now, you know, 65 years. And sometimes we look at those ages of the patriarchs and we go, well, 65 years, he was still a teenager then, kind of but I don't think so. I think his voice had changed, and I think probably his complexion had cleared up and things like that. All of the, he wasn't a teenager. He was a person. He was a, by 65, he was a 65-year-old, except they just lived longer then. He just lived longer. They just lived longer then. The birth of a son has improved many men. <laughs> Pardon me. I've got two sons. I've got two daughters. It's not just the birth of a son, but the birth of a daughter as well. And I get emotional about it because my oldest son is going to have a son. And the birth of a son, the birth of a child, has put many a person on a better road. Has, taken, has caused them to take seriously, more seriously, their allegiance they have to God and their covenant that they have with that child to rear that, God, that child in the way that God wants them to live. And if it does not make you more serious about your spiritual life and about your children and about how you walk with God, it should. And you need, we need to look at ourselves very closely with that. And so this is what we have about Enoch. Enoch was also a prophet. That's not really said back there in the book of Genesis, but that's said in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, it refers to that Enoch prophesied about the coming judgment and speaks of the wicked and rebellious people is who Enoch is talking about. And here's what it says in Jude verses 14 and 15. 
To these also Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Enoch was a prophet. Behold, the Lord, come, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their works of ungodliness, which they have ungodly wrought, and all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He liked to use the word ungodly. But it was accurate. Because what he was describing at that time is he was describing the time in which the world was destroyed by the flood, which his grandson, or great-grandson, however it is there, Noah, Noah built the ark and saved the race in that sense. He said, the Lord has come with ten thousands of his, holy, of his saints to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness, which they have ungodly wrought and all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. That's what he says. So let's look at how Enoch the prophet named his son. Enoch's son, look on your chart there, Enoch's son was Methuselah. Methuselah was the man who lived 969 years, the longest of anyone there. Methuselah, some scholars have interpreted that name to mean the man of the spear, but it can also be literally interpreted, his name can, I'm no Hebrew scholar by any means by, at all there, but I understand his name can be interpreted as when he dies, it shall be sent. What shall be sent, I would say? Well, I think Enoch being a prophet and prophesied of the judgment that was to come, I think what he is talking about, the judgment from God, that's what would come, the flood. And so the significance here, many of these names are very significant, oftentimes especially concerning the things that God had foretold through his prophets that they, these people would do. When he dies, it shall be sent. And so look on your chart here. Look on your chart here. And be it known here that Methuselah died when Noah was 600 years old. And that is when the flood came. That is the very year the flood came, when Noah was 600 years old. Methuselah died the same year the flood came. Of course, my question would be to you, do you think he died in the flood? Or do you think he died before the flood? There's a difference there. If he died in the flood, it probably meant that he was a wicked man. Or perhaps that may have been some of the mercy that God saw to some of the righteous people to let them die in the flood. I really don't think that would be the case. But if you go back to the name that I believe that Enoch gave to his son, the meaning of it, when he dies it shall be sent. I believe probably Methuselah there. Grandpa Methuselah was there probably during the time of the building of the ark and at some time, the appropriate time, it was time for him to go. And he was called home. And then the flood came. That's what I think is what is shown here in Scripture by this. Notice, here's what it says in Genesis 7th chapter. Genesis 7, verses 11 through 14. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on the same day, are all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights, the selfsame day. 
entered Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and their three wives and the sons with him into the ark. Doesn't say anything about Methuselah. But if his name is the prophetic name that I believe it is, there was a fresh made grave not too far off. And they and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird, every kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh therein, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female, all flesh, as God commanded him. And Jehovah shut him in. So, really, this is about all we have on this today, this afternoon. There's much more that could be drawn from that. But I don't want to belabor your patience here on this Sunday afternoon with an early service after lunch there. But think about this. Enoch walked with God, and I left this out here earlier, which I usually include here. My daughters say, want me to include it in it, but I just, it slipped by. Enoch walked with God. Notice it says, Enoch walked with God, and the New American Standard Version says, by faith Enoch was taken up that she should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. There's some who seem to indicate or think this scripture seems to indicate that there was a search that was conducted for Enoch because he was not found. You think about it, maybe Methuselah or some of them, they, they go and Enoch doesn't come home one evening. What happened to dad? And they go out and they look for him. And they go out and they see his tracks. There it is. And then all of a sudden they disappear. He was not found. Because God took him up. You call how Elisha, there was a chariot of fire came down from heaven and took Elisha up and he was the only other man who was transported like that and did not see death. I don't know if there's a chariot of fire came for Enoch as well. I don't know. I do know this, that Enoch walked with God. God considered him faithful. And in my imagination, and I say this imagination in quotes here, because I really don't think it happened this way, but it's the way that I choose to sometimes think about it in the kind of a picturesque sort of way is that every day that Enoch walked with God, and in my imagination it's, at the end of the day that Enoch would go home and be with his family, and the next day he would walk with God. Until in my imagination, the way I pictured it is that they came to the end of one day, and God said, come on, let's go to my home this time. And God took him. You know, I don't have the idea, I don't have the thought that there's going to be any way that the Lord will translate me. Now, that's not a realistic thing for any of us here. But yet at the same time, because we are all under the penalty of death and we will all die, except there may be that time when the Lord comes to take us home 
And then in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And we shall be changed. And that's what we work for. That's what we walk with God for. And you know what? We can do that. Because that's what's portrayed to us in Scripture, to walk with God. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.